Well, I became um, a follower of Jesus when I was 12 years old. And uh, I was at a weird little place in my young life. And it was transformational for me. I mean, it was a big, big deal. It, it, I literally changed overnight. I wanted to go to church every opportunity I had. I loved reading the Bible, even if I didn't understand a lot of it. I loved to worship. I loved to listen to Christian music. I loved to help. I taught myself how to play drums so that I could play for the youth worship team. I went on every trip, every camp. I went to every discipleship event, weekend retreat, camp. I was a passionate follower of Jesus, and I loved reading any book that would make me love Jesus more, act like Jesus more, be more like Jesus. And one of the books, and it's admittedly a heavier book that I read when I was just a young teenager following Jesus was Fox's Book of Martyrs by John Fox, first published in English in 1563. So you can imagine it's a real page turner. And it's, as you might suspect, as the title implies, it's a collective of stories of those who were martyred for following Jesus, for preaching about Jesus. And I thought maybe as a young, zealous Christian that I was one day plausibly going to face the opportunity to either renounce my faith or be killed for it. I mean, I also thought quicksand was going to be a much bigger problem than it turned out to be. I was taught to stop, drop, and roll. I've never once had to use that to put myself out if I caught on fire. So there's a lot of things that I anticipated that didn't happen, but I truly believed I might actually have to either renounce my faith or be martyred. And I used to worry, I used to stress, I used to kind of freak out a little bit that I don't know if I love Jesus enough. I love him. I love him with what I believed was all my heart, but did I love him enough to face being beheaded or being tortured or having boiling oil poured over me or being skinned alive or being disemboweled? All the ways that I had read that these radical martyrs stood up for the name of Christ, I wanted to be that kind of follower of Christ. I wanted to love him that much. And honestly, you're likely, and I mean very, 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 very likely to never encounter actual persecution for being a Christ follower. I mean, if it was written today and it was about us in America, it would be like Fox's book of the inconvenienced because we're in America not persecuted and we're certainly not martyred. So if we are never going to have to face that, how is it that we show how much we truly love God? Because there is nothing greater that you can do as a follower of Christ than love him. Jesus says this in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. it's a really famous passage, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your passion, and I kind of like this translation, your passion and your prayer and your intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. 
But there is a second to set alongside of it, in other words, of equal importance. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commandments are pegs. Everything in God's law and the writings of the prophets hangs from them. So Jesus tells us that the most important thing we can do to demonstrate our love for God is to also love others as much as we love ourselves. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this in Galatians 6 too. By helping each other with your troubles, you truly obey the law of Christ. So to be a true Christ follower, it's evidenced by us helping other people. And then finally, again, Jesus says this in John 13, 34 through 35. So I give you a new command. So Jesus says this, here are the greatest commands that already exist. Love God with everything and love everyone else as much as you love yourself. Paul said the law of Christ is to demonstrate your love by actually serving people. And Jesus then again says, I'm giving you a new commandment. I'm adding a commandment. Uh, whatever law you've known, here's a new law for you. So I give you a new command. Love each other deeply and fully. Of all the things Jesus could have told us to do, he said, love each other. Remember the ways that I have loved you and demonstrate your love for others in those same ways. Jesus says, everything you've ever seen me do for people, you do that for people. That's how you show your love. Everyone will know you as my followers if you demonstrate your love to others. Jesus says the greatest evidence we have of being Christ followers, the proof that we prove to the world that we are truly Christ followers is not how often we read books, is not how much we read the Bible, it's not how well we pray, it's not how high we lift our hands when we worship, it's not how well we sing, it's how well we love people. That's what Jesus said is the way we prove how well we follow him. So, it might feel like I'm building up a message on doing more and being more and giving more to your relationships so that you can love more. The exact opposite is true. Could someone tap the AC and make it just slight bit cooler? I'm, I'm starting to get warm. And um, you're all hot, and uh, you're putting off your hot energy to me, and I'm feeling it on stage. Uh, the exact opposite is true. I'm not calling us, nor do I believe the word is, to do more, be more, act more, give more, but rather to be intentional, strategic, and measured in the rest that you take from relationships. We are talking about in this series, the rest of your story. Maybe it should have been the rest in your story. Last week I talked about making rest a hero and not the villain because we often think of rest as the consequence of, of hard work. I, uh, worked, uh, Caleb Lautzenheiser helped me and my son Cole helped me and Drew Bartlett stopped by and helped me and we moved about six or seven yards of rock into my, my yard and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm telling you, 
Um, my body is not built. It's, it's why I got a degree in theology and why I, I am not built for that. And so I slept so hard last night, so hard that you wake up and you haven't moved and so your neck's kinked and, and I, was, I needed the rest so badly. And that's what we think of as rest comes after all of the output. But to undo the damage of a life like that where we put out, not just physically, we put out emotionally and we put out spiritually, we put out intellectually and we put out relationally and we put out in all the ways that we are and then we get to the point of almost complete burnout and we have to then go into some sort of forced recovery and that's how we see rest but the best of you needs to be measured out in rest for the best of your relationships. Grab your, no, grab your notes if you don't already have them out. I can only give my relationships the best of me when number one, I am retreating from the drainers and complainers. So we have been doing a lot of renovations and work around the house over the last like six weeks and just this last week, the fencing contractors finished up and it was about five days of them building out uh, the fences of five neighbors where we all collectively decided about two months ago that we would replace our fences. We live in a neighborhood that's about 20, a little over 20 years old and their original fences and all the posts were rotted and the fences were coming down and you can imagine what it was like getting five neighbors to agree on the pricing and the style and, and when we would do it and all of those things. And we did. We talked all of those details. And uh, one thing, it was interesting, and, and, and I, I, we get along. All of our neighbors really kind of, we, we're fortunate, we're blessed. We live in a, on a street where we all just like each other and we're all friendly to each other. We help each other when we can. Um, and, and we talked about every detail of this fence and never at any point with us liking each other as much as we do, did any of us suggest not putting the fence back up? <laughs> ne it never came up, not once. No, I don't even think anyone had the idea that we would not have privacy fences between our yards. I've got an like an 87-year-old woman, a widow on one side, and like an 85-year-old widow on the other side. There's a retired sheriff's deputy behind me. Those are the only three neighbors I have touching my yard. I, I don't think any of them are going to break into my house. I don't think they're going to come peeping through my windows. But I want a fence between me and them. There's an old adage that says, good fences make good neighbors. And it's just a kitschy, fun way of saying that clearly established, clearly drawn and maintained boundaries are good for relationships. Everybody knows where the boundaries are. I got to tell you, there was a weird couple days there where they had torn all the fences down, but nothing was up and we could all just see into each other's yards. I felt naked when I was fully dressed walking around my backyard. I don't want them seeing me just 
scooping dog poop? I, that's a, it's my business between me and my dog, not for them to see. Right? It felt too invasive, it felt too, but honestly, that is the benefit of boundaries in relationships. When we don't establish clear boundaries, especially now imagine if you had bad neighbors. The greater need for established boundaries, the greater need for clearly defined and enforced boundaries, Imagine having those fences down for people who did not respect you, people who did not want the best for you, people who were invasive, people who didn't have always great motives. And you know those people. They're the ones who take more than they give. There's a black cloud of negativity that follows them. They can't seem to finish a sentence without it ending in some downer note. You feel unhappier after you've been with them. They talk about people all the time and so you know deep inside they're talking about you when you're not there. There's always some sort of drama and they're always the victim. Or maybe they're a combination or a part of any of those things I just described or maybe you can imagine in your head right now the kind of person I'm talking about. And if you can't, you are that person (laughs) to somebody. (laughs) This is how Proverbs describes that kind of person. Like a conquered city with no walls, like a yard with no fence, so is a man, a person who has no self-control, a person who steps onto other people's yards uninvited, a person who lets all kinds of negativity into their own life. They're unprotected and they want you to be unprotected because they don't recognize or value boundaries. Now, here's the problem, that scripture also describes what it looks like when you and I don't protect ourselves from the drainers and complainers. If you are not setting up boundaries, guess what? People who don't like boundaries will love you. If you can't establish and enforce a boundary in which you protect yourself from them, from that draining, from that negativity, from that complaining, they are going to absolutely love you. They don't like people with good fences. They like people who have breaches in the hedges, who have holes in the fence. Our little old lady to the next of us has this fat little chihuahua named Cooper. And Cooper finds any imaginable way to get out of his yard. Sometimes it means getting into ours, Sometimes it means that he busts out and he roams the neighborhood. And anyone who tries to catch him, Cooper, for being such a fat little dog and having such short little legs is really fast. (laughs) And nobody can catch him. And so the only way is to leave the door wide open to Vivian's house. And Cooper comes and goes as he pleases. He decides when he wants to come home. Cooper is a drainer and complainer. 
Cooper doesn't realize what he has in his own. That's where he eats and sleeps. That's where some, one person loves Cooper and he's running away from her, coming into our yard, running the neighborhood. And then Vivian just leaves that, you know what I would do if my dog did that? Shut the door, lock it, leave a note, good knowing you, happy adventures, be free, you seem to not like it here. There have been times I've asked my dog to leave, go see what Cooper's doing. It's important that you establish boundaries to protect yourself against the drainers and complainers because that will cost you in your other relationships. Have you ever benefited in healthy relationships from being in relationship with those who aren't healthy? And the answer is no. Number two is this. I can only give my relationships the best of me when I am, number two, recharging for my attachments and affections. My attachments and affections. So I've just described the kinds of people we all know that we want to protect ourselves from and take breaks from. Listen, you're never going to get away with not having negative people in your life. There's always going to be a drainer and complainer. You're going to have to work with them or for them. Uh, they're going to work for you. Uh, you, you might be related to them. Uh, you might be in some sort of relationship that you don't get to walk away from. You're tethered to them. So you don't get to completely abandon those relationships, but you have to establish healthy boundaries so that you can take rest from those relationships and you know who those people are. But I'm going to tell you, they are not the people who are most responsible for depleting you and your wells. They are not the people who are most responsible for depleting your wells. You're probably initially not going to agree with me, but I want you to hear me out. The drainers and complainers are the obvious enemies of our peace and our emotional health and our joy. So we are guarded, even those who don't necessarily maintain good, healthy boundaries, you still have an enough is enough sensor in you, where at some point you draw a line in the sand and you won't allow them to keep draining and abusing and, and using, right? That, even people who don't establish good boundaries, they're who you're on guard with. They're who you are preserving something. You're holding back. You are obvious with them. It is those, listen, here's the part you're going to initially want to push back on. It's those who you choose to be in relationship with, who you want in your life, who you love willingly who you've chosen attachments to, who you've joined yourself together. I just did a, a wedding this last week for someone here in the church. And like all weddings, people gathered to watch these two people who love each other and have committed to spend their lives together. Those are the relationships we want to be in, that we choose to be in. And you can define that as friendship, some family members, you don't have to be with them, but you choose to be with them, your spouse, all of the relationships that we want. We're attracted to them and they're attracted to us. We're attached to them. Those are the people, listen, 
that you are already willingly giving your most and your best to. You're serving them, you're sacrificing for them, you're doing for them. You want to give to them. So if you are willingly, knowingly, purposefully, always giving your best to all of the people who you choose to be in relationship with, but you might not possibly or probably be pausing to refill those wells, who then takes the most from you? No, but I'm, I'm giving it. No, I understand that. But who ultimately ends up with the most and the best of you? It's not the trainers and complainers. You hold back. You guard yourself. Even the worst of us with the worst of boundaries know not to give everything to them, but it's those that we love and we want them to have the very best from us who are getting the most of us and depleting the most of our wells. Listen to what Jesus said about taking breaks, taking rest from, getting space from those that we love. This is in uh, Luke 2, 48 through 50. Jesus is just a young man. He's about 12 years old. His parents did not know what to think. Jesus had, uh, they were on a caravan and they had traveled for a census and Jesus um, or came back for a Passover to worship and, and they were returning to their hometown. The whole crowd left, including Jesus's family. Jesus stayed and he wanted to chill in the temple. And so he did. And so his parents traveled three days back to find Jesus. And here's what happened. His parents did not know what to think when they walk up and they see Jesus in the temple, astonishing these religious teachers with his thoughts. Son, his mother said to them, why have you done this to us? Why did you leave us and come here? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search? Jesus asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he meant. Jesus didn't hate his parents, wasn't disrespectful or dishonoring, wasn't disobedient. Jesus loved his parents deeply, but he retreated from them to do something that they did not understand. Let me give you another example in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. This is not parents now, this is spouses. Sorry, I should have given some context. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from, if there's any kids in the room, um, cover your ears or go on your iPad for a second. Uh, unless you both agree to a refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. So listen. Sex is good for marriage. It's really good for marriage. Paul actually says you should not abstain for sex, from sex at all, ever, unless there is mutual agreement to take a break from each other for a higher purpose. Jesus... <laughs> Got all choked up there. Started talking about sex and marriage and I get emotional when I do. It's a passion subject for me. I love it. Jesus 
left his parents for a higher purpose. Paul said, have sex. I used to say this in youth ministry. Brooke, you remember it. Jamie, you remember it? Have sex every day, only stop to fast and pray. That was not, not, I didn't tell my teenagers to do that. I said, when you get married, you get to have sex all the time. Have sex every day, only stop to fast and pray. There is a purpose in breaking healthy, healthy, healthy relationships and taking a rest from that health to achieve even greater health. And then let me read this other passage to you. Luke 5, 16, it says, afterwards, uh, uh, Jesus repeatedly left the crowds, though, stealing away into the wilderness to pray. Jesus loved healing people. He loved teaching people. He loved restoring relationships to God. Jesus loved being with people. Jesus' heart was broken for people. He loved protecting them from the religious, uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious teachers who were abusing and manipulating them. Jesus loved people. It's why he came, the Bible says. But frequently, all the time, Jesus would sneak away to be with God. Are you getting the point that there are things that you have to do to give the best of yourself? You have to replenish your wells. You have to be the best of you so that you can give the best to them. Listen, Jesus said the best thing you can do is love God. But he says to show how much you love God, you have to love people. You can't love God and not love people. But he said, you can't love people unless you love yourself. And here's the warning. Not everybody, even the best of people in your life, are going to fully understand why you have to retreat from them and take breaks from them. Jesus' parents didn't understand. And the crowds certainly didn't understand. It says when Jesus would go away, his own disciples and the crowds would chase him down and seek him out and try to find him. Because people that love you and that you're giving to, you are a life source for them. You're oxygen to them. So nobody wants their oxygen tube pinched off. Nobody wants for the person who loves them best to be taken away from them. But you have to. If Jesus saw fit to take breaks from the parents that he loved so he could be with the father to replenish. And if he saw fit to take breaks from the people that he loved. And if Paul commands us, because just the verse after that he says, and then come back together quickly so that you may not be tempted when you are feeling weak. Because Paul knows that sexual intimacy protects us against sexual idolatry and going outside of the marriage for our sex. So Paul says, I want you to break a necessary healthy behavior so that you can be intimate with God, but for a short period of time, and then come back together. Third and finally is this. I can only give my relationships the best of me when I'm rehearsing the breaks and boundaries. So when we talk about things like making space in our relationships for breaks and boundaries, two things ultimately will happen. And the first one is this. We'll immediately start to get nervous at the idea of how people in our lives are going to react. I will tell you this. People who don't respect boundaries will always push back on any boundary Right, It feels like an offense to them. It feels personal to them. So the drainers and complainers are never going to react well to your boundaries. So just 
kind of accept that to be true. But there are healthy, loving people that you choose to be in relationship with that will have maybe not a similar reaction, but they will not be happy with. They will at least not understand. And so that makes us nervous because we believe it'll start causing us conflict. And the second thing is we start feeling really lost at the idea of what boundaries look like and what rest from those relationships look like. We get overwhelmed because we think, wait, am I supposed to pack up and leave my family and go to Tahoe for a couple days so I can recharge? Yes. Yes. (laughs) There's agreement. May I have a second in the motion? The order is so carried. Um, What does that look like? Because not everybody will respond well. And so we start trying to imagine all these ways for us to take rest that aren't disruptors. But you have to start with this premise. Listen, that rest is a path to a better you. And Gavin, you can come back up. (laughs) Holy cow. I speak and it happens. Thank you for... (laughs) (laughs) let there be money on the stage (laughs) all right I think that was just coincidence then Um, you have to as you're looking at the idea of what does rest look like in all my relationships say I'm not doing this selfishly I'm doing it for them if I can be better If I can be more whole, if I can be filled with more joy, if my wells are deeper, I can give more. I can be there more for them. I'm healthier so that when they're not feeling healthy, I can be a source for them. When they're feeling discouraged, I can be an encouragement to them. That I can make it through my own discouragements with greater health and maturity and strength. A recent study conducted by the American Psychological Association emphasized the profound importance and impact of maintaining healthy boundaries in relationships. They really said it's singularly the most important thing you can do. The study found that individuals who consistently, circle that word in your mind, consistently establish and then clearly communicate their boundaries reported lower levels of stress, less anxiety, and overall improved mental health. And these individuals reported higher levels of self-esteem. They felt better about themselves and they felt a greater sense of control over their lives. So here's the point of me sharing that with you. Setting boundaries isn't selfish. Getting rest isn't selfish. It's an act of self-care that contributes positively to all the relationships that you want to continue to contribute to, that you want to give yourself to, that you want to uh, feed health into. It's about making you as whole, healthy, and well as you can possibly be so that you can in turn follow the law of Christ, which is to love others as you love yourself. Let me show you an example in Proverbs 25, 17 of giving and doing to the point of unhealthiness. Don't visit your neighbor too often or he'll become tired of you and grow to hate you. Leave that up there for just a second. This is 
you doing the work. You're going to the neighbor. You're giving your time. You're being the good friend. And you're doing it regularly. You're the one making the sacrifice. And he's going to hate you? Yes. Because even healthy people need a break from each other. Healthy people need a break from each other. But those who aren't healthy won't always interpret your sacrifice, your giving, your generosity, your health. They won't always interpret that as a gift to them. It feels invasive. It feels nosy. It, it feels intrusive. The Bible says that the best of us, the healthy of us, need to give others a break and protect them as we protect ourselves. Now listen to Paul's words in Galatians 6, 4 through 5. He says, examine your own works so that if you are proud, it'll be because of your own accomplishments and not someone else's. Each person has his or her own burden to bear and story to write. You say, well, okay, hold on just a second. Paul said earlier that the law of Christ is to help each other with our troubles. So again, yesterday in all the work that I did, I was doing it, but I could not have done that all without those who helped me. Caleb and Drew and my son, no way we would have finished. No way I would have finished. But what kind of guy would I have been if they were there helping and I was sitting in the shade sipping tea? It says help each other, but there is a burden, there is a load that I must carry on my own. I have to do my work. And then others who are loving come alongside and help me do that work. You see, you're not a gift to somebody who needs to learn how to carry their own load. You're just enabling them. There's a story that God wants to see unfold and be written in their lives, and you're interrupting that. When you start interjecting your story in, we need breaks from it. We need boundaries for each other so that you can look at your life and say, I'm doing what I need to do. I'm doing what I'm responsible for doing. If there are things that I can be proud of, I can be proud of those things. And if there's things that I need to work on, I have to take responsibility for those things. And that's everyone's story. That's what healthy boundaries look like, is just establishing that when I was mowing my lawn while the fences were down, just because those fences were down doesn't mean that I go then and mow Don's lawn and Vivian's lawn and Rosetta's lawn. And just because there was five yards that didn't have fences doesn't mean I'm now responsible to take care of all of them. So those fences help establish what belongs to us and what we need to work on. Almost all of our neighbors have dogs. But we're all responsible for cleaning up our dog poop. Their poop's not my poop. My poop's not their poop. We're responsible to take care of our own lives, our own stories. So as you begin to imagine what each one of these relationships needs from you, the answer is always it needs the healthiest, most filled, 
most mature, most Christ-centered version of you that you can possibly bring to them. And Jesus himself saw fit to rest, 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 so that he could give his best to people. Do you bow your heads and close your eyes and we're just gonna close with an opportunity for you to just, maybe you're not even gonna respond, you're just gonna rest in this moment. Rest in the knowledge that it's okay. Rest in the permission to set boundaries and then communicate those to people who may or may not understand them. That's not really the burden for you to carry. Their own healthiness and their own maturity will determine whether they receive that well or not. But you have to do what you can be proud of and you have to fix what needs to be fixed in your life. Father, my prayer is this for us today, that each one of us, as we go through today, would have a sensitivity in a relation, as we're looking across the table at the person we love, and we say, what do I need to do to give them the best of me? For my spouse, for my kids, for my siblings, for my closest friends, what kind of rest do I need to insert in this relationship? What sort of boundaries do I need to set to protect them from me when I'm not at my fullest and wholest? I want to follow your example. I want to steal away so that I can be with you, allow you to speak peace and comfort and even correction into my life so that I can bring back to them the very best of me. That's our prayer today. But it means nothing unless we put it into action. We don't want to be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word as well. And we pray it all, receiving it as we've already done it, in Jesus' name, amen.